and turn to Psalm 119, please. Psalm 119, and we continue in our study through this psalm. We're in verses 9 through 16, and we'll finish these verses up tonight. We started in verse 9, where the psalmist starts by asking a question, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? And we said that the word way is talking about a course of life. So imagine the picture. It's a word picture being presented to us here. How is it that a person, and he specifically talks about a young man, but we can make the application to anyone. How is it that a person uh, will cleanse their course of life, their way of life? And he uses the word cleanse there. It's, it's, the need for cleansing is assumed here. And the reason for that is because we have a natural sin problem from the moment that we're born. That's how we come into this world. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. And so what the psalmist is saying, what remedy is there against this sin problem? What course is to be taken? Then he gives the answer by taking heed thereto, according to thy word. And that simply means the study of, the appropriation of, and the conformity to God's word and God's will. That is what will cleanse a person's way. And that's really the, the sets the stage for this entire section in this psalm. And we divided it up into two parts. We talked about, first of all, the virtue of God's word. And the word of God according to these verses, had three inherent virtues as it's applied in the life of an individual. Verse 9 tells us that it has a cleansing effect. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How does a person stay clean in the environment of this world? How does their conduct or their way of life turn out? Well, it's the appropriation and the practical application of God's word. Secondly, we said that the word of God has a controlling effect. In verse 10, he says, With my whole heart have I sought thee, O let me not wander from thy commandments. The psalmist says that with his whole heart he sought the Lord. That phrase, it simply refers to the heart of man, but the implication that is given here is of wholehearted dedication to the word of God. And the application is pretty simple. You try to keep God's word half-heartedly, and you're going to fail because the flesh wants to rule the day. God calls for total commitment. God calls for the heart to be fully engaged in His word. And if we leave room in the heart for that idol in the life that we said we repented of, guess what? That thing's going to dominate again. Half-hearted dealing with our flesh and with sin is always going to fail. And at the same time, the psalmist says here, With my whole heart have I sought thee. At the same time as his wholehearted commitment is shown here, the psalmist also realizes his own weakness because he says in verse 10, Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Or let me not wander. It means to stray. He's saying, Lord, don't let me stray from your word and from your commandments. And he's 
indicating or showing his dependence on the Lord. And we have to have the same. Because it's only the Spirit of God that can guarantee victory over sin in life as we yield to Him. It's not our promises to the Lord of our commitments to the Lord, but it's His promises to us that will give us victory over sin. And we ought to have that wholehearted determination and wholeheartedly seeking after the Lord. And it's good for the psalmist as he says, I've sought you with my whole heart, but it wasn't His promise to God that was going to guarantee the victory. It was God's promises to him and the power of God's word. And the word of God has a controlling effect in our life when we take heed to it because it keeps our feet on the straight and narrow path. It can control the direction of life. And then we said, thirdly, that it also has a correcting effect. In verse 11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The word of God in the heart can bring about divine restraints. You know, we need divine restraints. The flesh is out of control. We need divine restraints, even in our thoughts and in our attitudes and our emotions and everything about our human nature needs restraining because the flesh is out of control. And so when the temptation comes and the flesh is, is rearing its ugly head, we find strength when the Word of God is hidden in the heart. Have you ever found that to be true? That, that you can quote Scripture in times of temptation and you find strength from the Word of God to say no to the flesh? It can put those divine restraints on us and give us that strength, but it needs to be hid in the heart. And the psalmist says, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. But here's the thing. Just memorizing Scripture doesn't guarantee enduring temptation. You can know whole passages of Scripture, entire chapters and books, but it does not guarantee enduring temptation. It is the practical application and obedience of truth. That's what produces in the life. And that's what puts us in a place to have victory. And so we need to enthrone God's Word in our heart. And it will have a correcting effect when our flesh wants to rule the day and pull us away from the will of God from day to day, moment by moment. The second thing about this passage is we find then not only the virtue of God's Word, but we find the value of God's word. And I want to direct your attention to verse 13, where the psalmist says, With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. We're going to consider the value of God's Word in the heart uh, tonight. And we'll ask the Lord to bless His Word and ask the Lord to challenge us tonight, amen, with truth. Uh, and let's pray and ask the Lord for His blessing. Heavenly Father, Lord, we need You and we need Your Spirit. And Lord, we need You to apply truth to our lives. And I'm asking, Lord, that You would do that in my own heart tonight. 
And Lord, that you do that in the heart of everyone here. And there can be study time and there can be uh, a time of preaching, but if the heart is not ready to receive or people are not ready to come and eat, Lord, I pray I pray that I pray that you it would really have it, it just has no effect unless our own heart is ready. And so I'm praying, Lord, that you'd help us tonight to put a, the cares of the, the world aside, Lord, to be very intentional about examining our own heart. And Lord, I pray that we'd be very intentional about applying God's truth here to receive it as it is in truth, not the words of men, but the word of God. And Lord, may you use your word to strengthen us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Consider the value of God's word. And again, the psalmist has three things to say here about the word of God and the treasure that it is. And the first is he's talking about the treasure of God's word is not something that should be kept to ourselves. In verse 13, he says that we must proclaim it. He says in verse 13, with my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. The Apostle Paul said something similar in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20 and verse 27. He said, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. To declare the judgments of God in their totality, it demanded some things. And I want you just to think with me for a little bit here. As the psalmist is saying, I with my lips have declared all the judgments of thy mouth. And we read those words and we say, that's great. All the judgments of the Lord, my lips have declared. But I want you to understand something. It takes a couple of things. It demands some things to be able to declare the judgments of God. First of all, it demands some diligence. It demands some diligence. And we can take what the psalmist is saying back to verse 11 and verse 12, where he said, Thy word have I hid in mine heart. In verse 12, he said, Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. And what I'm saying here is before we can declare the judgments of God, we've got to know what they are. You've got to know what you're talking about. It requires being familiar with, and yea, even the study of God's Word. You know, it takes some time and it takes some effort to be able to know and understand the Word of God in order to declare it. It requires some diligence on the part of, of the, the person. It requires some self-denial. It requires some application of the Word of God in our own life to become familiar with and to know God's truth. Let me ask you a question. How much time and effort do we give to the pursuit of making money? How much time do we give in the pursuit of pleasures and entertainments? Or how much even do we give of ourselves in wasteful idleness? And how many times have we said, I just don't have time to read or meditate on God's Word today. I'm so busy. 
And yet we find time for our, our entertainments or we find time for our social media and everything else under the sun. And when we think to ourselves and we justify ourselves by saying, well, I just don't have time to read and meditate on God's word today. When we say we have no time for God's word, but we have time for everything else, we're simply exposing how wrong our sense of value is. Do you follow that? Because what we value, we make time for. That's the truth. What we value, we make time for. And if this book and God's word is a treasure and, a, and precious to the soul, listen, we're going to do what we need to do to make time for this book in my life on a daily basis. The psalmist says, with my lips I've declared all the judgments of thy mouth. There's implying here that he knew what those judgments were and he spoke of it. Now, let me say this to you. Nobody ever mastered Bible truth and Bible principle by occasionally opening it and reading a random verse or two. It sits on the coffee table or it sits on the shelf, you know, all week long and we'll dust it off to come to church on Wednesday night. We'll make sure that we have our Bibles in hand when we go to Sunday school and so on. But how much of this book is used during the week? It takes time. It takes effort. It takes study to know Bible truth. You know, I'm a proponent of writing in your Bible. I'm a proponent of taking notes. I had somebody just ask me, earlier this week, when, when people are taking notes, what are they writing down? And I said to the individual, I said, well, many times they're following the outline of the passage or they're writing down something that was meaningful, that was said. Maybe they're writing down a particular application of how, you know, something the Spirit of God pointed out to them in that moment, and they're writing it down so they don't forget it. And the, and the person said, I, I want to be more engaged. I want to be more interactive. I want to start doing this so that, I, so that I can learn. I was like, praise the Lord. I appreciate the hunger for the Word of God. This Bible that I have here, I've had this Bible for over 20 years. And I, I, I heard, uh, I think it was on Facebook, I don't even know exactly where it was, but there was another preacher who was asking this question. How, many, how often do you go through a Bible? He says, I'm asking my other preacher friends, how often do you go through a Bible? And he was talking about, well, mine probably lasts maybe five years, and then I've got to get a new one, you know, because of so much use that I put through it. I was like, hey, great. I've had mine for over 20 years. I've had it rebound three times because it's fallen apart. But I just can't get rid of all the things that are written down inside of here. As God has shown me things over, over the last 27 years of my life, I can't get rid of it. Because there's a truth that I learned that was precious to the soul. And I, oh, i got to write this down. And then later on, as I'm reading through the scriptures, or we're even in a message like this, I'll look down and see something in the notes, an application, or something that God showed me before, and this time I'm able to speak of it. Because God has shown me and taught me His truth. 
The Word of God is something that not only should we hide in our heart, but it's not something we should keep to ourselves. The psalmist says he declared it. And how much do we give to other things and then expect that, well, we're going to learn Bible truth because we occasionally open it up and we read a verse or two. What I'm saying, it's got to be studied. It's got to be applied. It's got to be lived in life. How many Christian people don't really believe that God's Word is real and true? Even though they hold it and bring it to church. Do you understand what I mean by that? They got some head knowledge of some things, but they don't actually live it out in their life like this is practical to my everyday life so that it guides me. Or we're faced with the decision to make and Instead of looking to Bible principle and Lord, show me in your word the direction I should go, we make decisions based on emotion or feeling or what we think we know or experience. In my experience, it takes diligent, determined, intentional effort over time. You know, there's no magic formula that can make up for mental laziness. To declare all the judgments of the Lord, as the psalmist says, it requires some some diligence to know what they are. But secondly, it requires some daring. Notice what he says at the end of verse 13. He says, With my lips have I declared all all the judgments of thy mouth. You say, well, what does that have to do with having some daring? Well, In the bankrupt society that we live in, taking a biblical stand on issues of the day is going to make one very unpopular. Whether that's on the job, whether that's in school, or whether that's in government. But what the psalmist says is what came out of his mouth is the same thing that came out of God's mouth. Thy word. Not my opinion. Not my thoughts, but thy word. That would take courage and daring because this world hates the truth of God. How often do we experience that or at least view it? But here's the thing. Even though the world hates it, The Word of God is of great value to the individual as your neighbor, as your co-worker, or as society as a whole. Listen, whether a person is saved or not, Bible principles still work. They do. In the Bible, there are the treasures of wisdom. Wisdom for the halls of Congress. Wisdom for the teacher in the classroom. Wisdom for the parent trying to raise their children. How many parents do you see so frustrated out of their minds? Because their kids are absolutely out of control. Well, the Word of God has Bible principles for raising our children that still work when they're obeyed, when they're applied. There's wisdom for the soul. Wisdom, how we can know peace with God. Whether it's popular or not, 
the world still needs it. And even though it is unpopular, may the Lord give us grace to declare just what the souls of men need in this world. There's an example of that. If you go, hold your place, but go over to Acts chapter 4 with me. You'll likely remember this portion of Scripture if you read through it, but I'll just give you the context of it. The context is of Peter and John, how they healed the impotent man. And after doing so, the priests and the Pharisees, they're just like, what are we going to do? People are going to people are going to pay attention to this. People are going to be influenced by this. We can't be having this. And so they arrested Peter and John and put them in prison. And they said, we're going to threaten them. And we're going to tell them, you can't speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And they said, when they came before the council, they said, you judge whether, whether this is wise or not. Should we obey God or should we obey you? And they said, we cannot speak but the things that we have seen and heard. And so the Bible says in verse 21, so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because the people, for all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing was showed. Now look at verse 23 and following. And being let go, they went to their own company. So they came back to the church and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, the church heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his, against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to do. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word." By stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Even in the face of it being unpopular, and even in the face of their threatenings, they said, Lord, grant to us that with all boldness we may speak your word. It wasn't popular in that day. It's not today. And how often do we struggle with fear? Fear to speak up for right and for true in the workplace or in any other place in society. And the Christian's mouth is silent because of fear of men. And may the Lord grant us that with all boldness, we would declare exactly what men in this world need. The Word of God. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, 
Pray this for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul knew that's what he ought to do. So the question is, do we know the Word of God? Is it valuable in our own life? And then do we understand how valuable it is in other people's lives so that we would proclaim it and declare it? But then secondly, I want you to note when it comes to the value of God's Word that we must prize it. Look at verse 14. Go back to Psalm 119. And look at verse 14. He says, I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. The psalmist, and if we put it into outline form here, not only should we proclaim it, but we also need to prize it. And we need to prize it, first of all, because of its priceless worth. He says in verse 14, I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. He says, I've rejoiced in the word of God. This thing is so valuable as much as in all riches, he says. You know, you and I might have some rejoicing in our home if tomorrow we received a check for a million dollars out of the blue. You open your mailbox, it's a million bucks. You're like, there's a note inside that's uh, some long lost uncle that I never knew I had. Left me a million bucks. Wow. That's awesome. Some rejoicing over that. But we have something of infinitely greater value in the word of God. Jesus said in Matthew 13 and verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. That's talking about salvation there, but it's the recognition of the value that it is. And it's the same with the word of God to recognize what a treasure the word of God is. But let me ask you something. How do you treat it? Do you treat it nonchalantly? Has it even been picked up and opened this week? How do we treat it? Even in the course of life. Do we treat it as a great guide and value so that it directs my steps in the course of my life. Listen, the fact that we hold it in our hands is an amazing thing that we don't fully understand. And the price that was paid just so we can hold it in our hands. Our possession of the Word of God, listen, that's the thing that should send us into ecstatic praise. Thank you, Lord, that I have your Word. The psalmist says, I've rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies, as much as in all riches. Imagine this for a second. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but just imagine for a second living your life 
All of you sitting in this room who have access to the Word of God in a moment-by-moment basis. But imagine living your life and then dying without ever hearing John 3.16. For God so loved the world, that's you, that He gave His only begotten Son. Imagine never ever hearing that in your life. Or hearing and really knowing the name of Jesus, who He is. Knowing how your sins can be forgiven. These things are more valuable than gold. And how do we treat it? Is it a treasure? Is it of great value? Or do we treat it nonchalantly because we have access to it? Or we just don't see the treasure that it is? We also, not only do we need to prize the Word of God because of its priceless worth, but we also need to prize it for its practical worth. And here's where you and I live. In verse 15, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. Again, the word ways, it's talking about a path trodden. It's talking about a course of life. The word meditate here, it means to ponder. It means to really engage and ponder meditation in God's word is going to cause us to ponder our own ways and will lead our feet into the right paths, God's ways. The path that we pursue is going to determine our destination. Correct? A person cannot pursue a road leading south from Chicago and end up in Alaska. Proverbs 14 in verse 12 says, There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And that's why it's so important to get our feet on the right path. The practical worth of God's Word lies in the fact that it leads us to respect God's paths and God's ways. There's a lot of slippery paths in life, but it's the Bible that will keep our feet from those slippery places. It's going to direct our feet away from the places where Satan has his, his traps hidden and his snares hidden. The Bible is the chart and the compass on life's stormy sea. The Bible is the light unto my path and the lamp unto my feet, not just to show me the way, but to also help me avoid the rocks and the, and the stumbling blocks along life's way. Its practical worth is that in it are found all the things that pertain to life and godliness. What a waste if we don't let it guide our way. But how many of us and how many Christian people talk a talk, 
but they don't actually let the Word of God guide their way. They don't really know the principles or go searching for the principles that will help guide their way. It's usually by the light of their own understanding. But the Word of God is so valuable because of its practical worth that the Bible principles are really, really, really real. Did you know that? Well, that kind of goes to the next point because the psalmist says in verse 16 that we got to prove it or test it. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. The psalmist says that he would take pleasure in the Lord's statutes and he would not forget his word. The word forget there, it means to mislay or it means to be oblivious. You know, there's not much use in reading this book if we immediately forget what it says, right? In fact, it goes beyond just being useless. We are actually fools deceiving ourselves if we forget what this book says. Go to James chapter 1 in familiar passages of Scripture tonight, but so practical and so valuable. In James 1, in verse 21, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. He's talking about the dirtiness and the abundance of depravity that's in your flesh. He says, lay it aside. And receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. All right? So we see the power in the Word of God and the effect it has for the soul, right? All right, amen. But then he says, But be ye doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed." The psalmist says, I'm going to delight in the Lord's statutes. I will not forget or mislay or be oblivious to the things of the Lord. And, he, and, and he's, talking about, he's talking about not forgetting or not laying it aside or, 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 or uh, uh, being oblivious to its truth about myself. And that's what James is talking about. You look into the perfect law of liberty. God's Word shows us what manner of men we are, and we forget what we look like. He says we're deceived. We're deceiving ourselves. But the one who sees what he is, the one who takes heed to the Word of God and does the Word, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. You know the best way to keep God's Word alive in your life? Is to experience it. 
and to prove it and to test it in everyday affairs. Do you do that? You know, principles from God's Word are there to guide us in the course of life. But we've got to know them and we've got to apply them. And it's when we apply them and we test them that we begin to really understand that God's Word really works and it's real. You know when I really know a truth? When I've put it to the test and I've asked the Lord to prove Himself or this principle in God's Word and I'm going to trust it and I'm going to obey it and then all of a sudden I see it work in my life. That's when I really, really know God's truth because I've lived it. But how many Christian people have no real understanding of that? And sometimes our heads are filled with Bible knowledge, and I can quote you Bible stories, and I can quote you even passages of Scripture, but the practical principles of God's Word that are there for guiding my life, I don't put them to the test because I don't really know them. You know, David was an example of how God's Word can guide in life. Do you remember when David had multiple opportunities to kill King Saul? When King Saul was hunting him. And there was an opportunity when King Saul was asleep. His spear was next to his pillow. David and Abishai, I think it is, come into the camp and Man, what a great opportunity. Circumstances are all just lining up perfectly. And David's man says, let me kill him. Now's the chance. It's a perfect opportunity. And David remembered, 1 Chronicles 16.22, Touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. It guided David in a decision right then. A decision even when what seemed like favorable circumstances, a principle from the Word of God guided David in a decision. It was not for him to kill King Saul, no matter how terrible he was. It directed his steps. And you know the Bible is full of principles that can guide our path in life. But we've got to trust it. We've got to test it. We've got to prove it. You say, well, what kind of examples? You know, I can, we, could, we could look all night long at examples, but just simple things. For example, 2 Corinthians 6.14, where the Bible says, Be not unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. That's a Bible principle to guide your life, to protect the Christian, to protect the saint of God. And some people say, oh, but you don't understand, Pastor. This girl, she's just so perfect and so on. You know, it, it looks so favorable. You know, and I can, I can influence her to be saved. And all kinds of excuses and all kinds of thoughts come up because this is what my flesh wants to do. But why is God saying this? Why is this a principle for life? Well, what's an unequal yoke? You've heard me illustrate it before. You've got the yoke that harnesses, you know, plow animals. And if you put an ox uh, with another ox, 
Those two have the same stride. They have the same gait. They've got the same pulling power. You're going to get the job done because they're going to go in the same direction. But you put an ox with a donkey and they're not the same at all. One's pulling this way, one's pulling that way. And you know what? Nothing's going to get done. And it's a simple Bible principle to protect your life because you know what? You, you, you disregard or you, or you set aside principle that's there and it's going to start you on a course, a way, a path that leads away from the will of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Why does God say this? Why are there principles like this and others in the Word of God? It's to protect our way, to protect the course of life. And what I'm saying and what the psalmist is saying, God's Word in the heart should be a treasure. God gave it to me because He loves me, and it's there for my protection. The psalmist says there's a lot of value in the Word of God. It's a priceless treasure, but it's also very practical for life. In the next section, the psalmist says there's wondrous things in the law of God. In verse 18, he says, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. When we break this one down, we're going to see that it's divided up into two parts. And the psalmist is taken up with the great opportunities that he finds in God's Word in the first part. But then in the second part, he talks about the great opposition he finds to the Word of God. And the Word of God divides the whole of the human race like that. There are some who find God's Word a treasure chest of wisdom and counsel and help, but then there's others who despise it and try to undermine its influence and its power. They're the ones who hold the truth. They suppress the truth and don't let it work in their life. But when we do, the psalmist says we behold wondrous things out of God's law. So that's the direction we're going to go next time. Do you love God's Word? Are you enthroning it in your life? Is it valuable? Is it a treasure? Or do we treat it nonchalantly? Let's ask the Lord to help us to love His Word even more. Amen? And then use it and apply it day by day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You, Lord, for Your Word, for its truth. We pray that You'd use the principles as reminders for us of what a treasure the Word of God is. And we pray, Lord, that You help us to value it. Not only because... It's a priceless treasure, but of, for how practical it is. What a valuable tool and resource. Really, it is the only one that will cleanse the way, cause a person's life to, quote, turn out when we take heed to the Word of God. Help us to love it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.